You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome in to Shot and Vip, a podcast brought to you by Inside Carolina this football season. Co-hosting this, I'm Taylor Vipolis, joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman and teammate, Jeff Schottmer. <laughs> Jeff, it's a victory Monday, birds are chirping, the sun is shining, and the Carolina fan woke up today with a great deal of hope after what we saw on Saturday. UNC opens the season with a 31-17 win over South Carolina in the Battle of the Carolinas. Before we get into this game in a lot of detail, what were your biggest takeaways watching that performance for the Heels? The first thing I want to say is Chapel Hill is in Carolina and USC is Southern Cal. That was one of the tweets I saw Saturday and I just had to reiterate that. You know, we're the real Carolina and we we finally proved that on Saturday. As regards to the team, I want to give Coach Brown a lot of credit. You know, he he takes a lot of flack at times and when 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 he when he does a good job, we got to give him his flowers because he he damn sure deserved it. Uh he had the team looking ready. Um congratulations to him, you know, uh, the only coach in NCAA history to have 100 wins at two uh, Power Five programs—that's an amazing feat. And uh, you know, he, he's a Hall of Fame coach, and he's well deserved. Uh, the thing that I was impressed about him most is how he quieted the noise of the week. There was so much going on, right? In the opening game, it's College Game Day versus a huge rival in South Carolina. Uh, there's a there's an unfortunate, tragic shooting that goes on the week of the game, like. There's just so many emotions going on. The Tez Walker situation, you know, uh, DeAndre Boykins getting hurt, uh, Nate McCollum, like these two, these two or three starters that are supposed to play. And he just quiets the noise, has his team ready to go. And, and they looked as ready for, a, a home, or for an opener that we've had in a long time. So give Coach Brown the credit and obviously the players a bunch of credit, but he had them ready to go. Yeah, I think that's, that's a huge point with the, the Tez Walker situation specifically where – here is your number one Bolitnikoff award type receiver. And you're going into this entire week. Is he going to play? Is he not going to play? That's something that a lot of teams, that's an easy thing to get distracted by. And this Carolina team 
stayed ready and they were ready from the jump. Once that game started, I thought there were times where, where the defense was kind of spotty in, in the first half. They had their moments where they looked really good. And then they had their moments where South Carolina was able to drive the ball. But even in the moments where, where South Carolina had success against the Carolina defense, a lot of those mistakes looked very easily correctable. The the one I'm thinking of was Power Eccles and Elijah Huzzy kind of got uh, a little miscommunication on, on passing a running back off to the flat that resulted in a big play. But the Carolina defense, they were the stars of this game. They were the talk the entire offseason about how they're the weakness of this team, how they're not really worth anything, how they're going to be the ones that are holding the defense back. They show up. Week one, 16 tackles for a loss, nine sacks. What did you see defensively for Carolina? So I, I think for as long as the game of as, uh, football exists, I think if you were the more physical team, you have a really good chance of winning the game. And I know football is trending in a different direction where people say it's not as physical and they're trying to take the physicality out of the game, but – I think as long as this game exists, the phys- most physical team is going to win the game, and we we dominated last night, especially in the trenches. And the biggest thing for me that I want to just talk about was was we had we had issues last year all across the board. We were we were a pretty good football team, but we had some glaring issues, and we spent all off season fixing those issues. Okay, and a couple of them I want to talk about where we were better in the trenches. Right. That starts with the O-line and D-line. We, we consistently knocked people off the ball in the run game and we didn't allow pressure in Drake's face. You know, we let up one tackle for loss and zero sacks. You know, we're going to win a bunch of games if that's the case. Uh, obviously, the D-line was the story of the show, uh, you know, nine sacks and, and 16 TFLs. So, so if we get that production from those two sides of the ball in the trenches, like ACC championship is is that's what we should be, you know, gunning for and, and even more. Um, and then I, I love that both sides of the play calling on offense and defense, like we were more aggressive on defense. So Gene Chizik kept his receipts of all, you know, the IC fans bitching at him all last year about b- pressuring more. And, um, and we'll get into more about Chip Lindsay and how he, you know, uh, ca- called the game on offense, but we ran the ball and we stopped the run. Those were issues last year. We, we fixed those. And then our red zone offense and red zone, red zone defense were great. We scored four times in the red zone, four touchdowns. And on defense, we, we held them to field goals two out of the five times. You know, Coach, Coach Chizik preaches great red zone defense, and we finally got that kind of corrected. So those were, those were the big, you know, uh, I'd say hurdles we had to overcome from last year. And, and we kind of we put, put, a, put a good showing out there last uh, Saturday night. You talked about last week how the Carolina defense, they weren't good at anything last year. They had to find something to hang their hat on. The rush defense, especially in the first half when, when maybe things weren't that good, the rush defense was still you know phenomenal. South Carolina has, I think, five rushing yards in 15 attempts. They finished the game with 31 attempts for 11 yards. How important was the rush defense for Carolina to kind of set the tone and say, like, if if you guys are going to have success, it's not going to be running the ball. Yeah, it starts with our D-line. You know, they were creating havoc all night. They were physical. Their their hand placement was good. Their steps were better. 
And they just, it looked like they woke up from a slumber, you know, a two or three year slumber. You saw that the talent was, was prevalent. Like there's seven, eight deep across the board that are all high profile guys that have a, that will, ha- will have a chance, really good chance to play in the NFL. And, you know, those two linebackers patrolling in the middle, if, if they're free, freed up and, and, and they're just roaming free to the ball, we're going to, we're going to knock down a lot of running backs at no gain, one yard, two yard. And the more consistently you can do that, then you can, once you get to second and eight and third and seven, then you can have your pass rushers go hunt and play more coverage in the back end. And, and we'll get to the, our secondary, you know, kind of later in the show, but you know, they're obviously the weakness of our defense right now. I'll go ahead and say our front seven is the best it's been since 2010, since the year that we were going to have all those guys go to the NFL and, you know, 10 first round picks or what everyone was projecting or whatnot. You know, this front seven is, they are really, really good. And that's, that's kind of been the disconnect with this team where you look at their rankings, you look at their size and stature and how everybody on that front seven looks like a, a first guy off the bus. So when we see the defense last year, I think that's what led to such frustration being like this Carolina defense should be a lot better Maybe they're not going to be what they were on, on Saturday night for the entire season. Nine sacks a game is going to be something that's pretty tough to replicate. But the talent is there. And what I'm just curious, what do you think it's been like for this group where the past eight months since the Oregon game, they have to hear that they are the weakness and, and – how do you think that kind of fueled that performance on Saturday? I think it was less about them hearing the external noise about how they weren't great. It was more the internal motivational factors of all those guys want to be really good, I think. And all those guys want to go play in the NFL. The Cayman Rutgers, you know, he was the unheralded recruit who everyone slept on. And, and he's out to prove a point. You know, he looked like a top three draft pick last night top three round draft pick, you know, despite his size, that doesn't matter. He was, he was physical. He was, he was impactful in the run game in the pass game. I mean, to get four sacks out of that rust position is something that we haven't, we haven't done in in 10, 15 years, you know, that, that we just, we weren't even scheming up crazy blitzes. We were just rushing four and our edge rushers were beating, were whooping the tackles. It wasn't like we were running these exotic blitzes. It was just, it was my man's better than your man, and we're going to go get the quarterback in less than 2.5 seconds. I think you predicted on the last podcast 12 sacks this season. For- I, I, need, I need to up it to 24. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a third of the way after game one. <laughs> Ruck, Rucker and Gaynor are well on their way. Rucker especially, I don't think you can talk enough about just how good he looks every time he's out there. You kind of talk about him being – under recruited or you know people are overlooking him because he might not have the the size and stature of somebody like Des Evans but when you watch the film and you just isolate where 25 is it is so impressive the things that he's doing out there and I think one thing I've also wanted to push back on it really hasn't been coming from the UNC fans but some people are like oh South Carolina's offensive line isn't that good that's still SEC level talent across from them. You can't control who you play. And we saw this North Carolina defense struggle against App State last year, against Georgia State. 
they went in on Saturday and absolutely kicked South Carolina's teeth in up front. For sure. And one thing I learned when I was coaching for four years was don't ever discredit a win, especially in the, in the manner and the fashion that we went about it. Right. We're playing an SEC opponent who beat Tennessee last year, who beat Clemson on the road. Like they have talent. They're well coached team. Don't ever discredit, you know, saying they didn't look as good. Maybe we just looked really good. You know, our, our D line handled them consistently all throughout the game. And that's that's all I want to say about them, because they're a, they're a bowl team in the SEC and, and we'll take that win any chance we can get. And besides the 16 tackles for a loss and, and nine sacks, I thought one of the most impressive things that this North Carolina defense did on Saturday was there was three sudden change possessions. North Carolina's defense holds South Carolina on those three possessions to just a field goal. How big is that where you you have that change of possession, you're, you're running back on the field, and while you're running back on the field, you're kind of showing your offense like, hey, it, it's okay, Drake, you threw a pick. Or it's okay, Kobe, you, you tipped the ball and it got interception. We're going to have your back and we're going to limit South Carolina. Yeah, I was, I was going to go back to that mantra we had in 2015. I got your back. We got your back. You know, that, that's, that's the mark of a good team. And situational defense is kind of what we've lacked, especially last year. We played no situational defense. And, and to expand on that, so – the sudden change, like you mentioned, on, on an interception or the onside kick, when the defense is is not expected to play and then all of a sudden something happens, they got to run their ass on the field and go get a stop. So that happened three or four specific times, and I think we only let up a field goal, which is, which is incredible yep. defense. That's going to be the first thing that Coach Chiswick points out in, in the team meeting uh, on Sunday. You know, that that's what he's going to talk about is how when our backs were against the wall, we bowed our neck and, and we got stops for our offense. And then our offense is on the side and they re, they see that and they're like, damn, OK, we don't have to be perfect. You know, so that's just a that's just a notch in our belt. And we feel really good about it. The other situational defense I want to talk about was third down. So we were four or 14 on third down. Th those are top 20 in the country numbers against a good quarterback in Spencer Rattler who will play in the NFL. And I think that started at like two for three. Like they were pretty good early. Yep. And then fourth down, 0 for 4. And the way defensive coaches look at it is if you get a turnover on down, that's a turnover. So they were 0 for 4 on fourth down. That's technically four turnovers that our defense created. Uh, red zone I mentioned earlier. And then second half adjustments, right? We let up 14 points in the first half and only three in the second half. And, you know, for us to be able to make those adjustments, and that's kind of been Chizik's uh, – mantra especially when i played was like okay we're gonna see what they're doing in the first half and and really you know put the hammer hammer on the nail and really figure out what they're doing and make those adjustments in the second half and really limit them in the second half so um situational defense was at an all-time high and uh, i hope we can just continue to build on that six players had sacks for carolina atkinson gainer cedric gray rucker des evans tamari fox if you're looking at this Carolina defense, the one question mark you probably have is DeAndre Boykins, who is your starting nickel or, or that star position. He's out for the year with an injury. They decide to move Elijah Huzzy inside to nickel. In a Chiswick defense with your experience, what's your thoughts on maybe why Carolina moved Huzzy inside and why not just keep him at corner and bring somebody else to that star position? 
I think the first thing is uh, the coaches think that their best three are Huzzy, Holloway, and and Marcus, right? So th that's why they moved him inside the star because, first of all, the star is an impactful position. It can make a lot of plays, right? The star can cover. It, it can blitz. It's got to play zone defense, man defense. It's got to cover the slot. It's got, it's got to be able to do a you know, it's a very versatile role. And I think they trusted Huzzy to do that. And, I mean, you see in the, the opening snap of the game, he comes up and makes a TFL and a sound tackle. And he is, I mean, he gets up and that, that looked like the best tackle we've seen from a secondary member in a couple of years, right? Great technique and, and, and drove the guy back. And I was like, damn, we really got something here. Um, I, I think I, I was proud of the, of the corners and how they, how they hung in there. Holloway got beat on a couple of jump balls, but he's young. He, he looked like he had that dog in him where he was just, look, he, he, he got beat once or twice and it didn't phase him. He competed the whole game. He didn't hang his head. I remember seeing the third or fourth quarter, he comes up and makes a big tackle behind the line of scrimmage. Like that's what we need. Cornerbacks need amnesia where they just, they, they just forget things happen because they're going to get beat. It's, it's one of the hardest positions to play in, in any, any sport. And look, other teams have talented offensive players and a jump ball happens, but, uh, you know, I, I was proud of their effort last night. Yeah, and the the biggest thing moving forward for this defense is going into the App State game, going into the Minnesota game. They can't be satisfied with this result. You kind of see the the blueprint. Like, wow, we could be really good if if our defense plays like this consistently. How important is it for the defense and? If you're the defense, how do you go about validating this performance and stacking a, a great performance with another great performance? Look, you just got to keep repeating what you're doing. I mean, it, it's not that hard. The, the effort that we played with last night, the two things that stu stood out to me besides, you know, our D-line being, you know, completely dominant in the pass game was was how well how sound we tackled and our angles to the ball. And those those were issues last year, you know, when the DBs, especially the DBs, you, you saw Chapman make a couple of open field tackles, you know, sometimes in, in years past, we would wrap them up and they would break free and, and get 10 to 12 more yards. But last night when the first defender struck the ball carrier, he was he was normally going down. Uh, so that was that was exciting for, you know, for me to see them clean up. Um, but how they, you know, expand on this and, and they just keep doing it over and over and over and over again. And, you know, it, it can get monotonous and boring, but that's the sign of a good defense is just you don't flinch. You go back to work. You, you obviously pat yourself on the back for that performance. But look, next man up. Let, let's do it again. Let's go get seven, seven sacks again next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Was it ever tough for you in, in the 2015 season as the team was getting more success or did you notice anything ever where when we were having more success, it was harder to, you know, replicate those performances or was it more, you know, we had a taste of success and, and we wanted more of that? Yeah, I think when you have success, your confidence grows as a player and as a unit and as a team. And in my opinion, confidence is one of them is maybe the most underrated thing in sports. If, if, if a guy has confidence, he may, he may not be a great player, but if he's confident and plays like he's the best player, then there's, there's a chance he can really do it. So uh, our confidence is, is growing and I just want to see us slowly steady to, you know, steadily rise as this, as the season goes on and, and, and keep, keep our foot on the gas. Looking at the offense and, and switching sides, where it feels like we we knew what we were going to get with the offense. Maybe I don't think anybody expected the defense to carry North Carolina as much as they did. They they were certainly going to play a, a factor in whether or not Carolina lost. But in terms of actually carrying Carolina over the line, it was the defense, which is surprising with Drake May. I think the, the first point we should probably touch on with the offense is just how do you think the debut of new offensive coordinator Chip Lindsey went? Because – I understand why some people are frustrated. It's not as explosive as an offense. I think he was a bit handicapped without Tez Walker and without Nate McCollum. But I was very encouraged by how creative North Carolina's offense looked. Uh, They went five wide and empty personnel more than I could ever remember. You had running backs split out wide. Uh, You had the Wildcat. They They were shifting the pocket for Drake May. You had reverses to get speed and space the unbalanced look where South Carolina is scrambling around and, and there's 13 players um, what did you kind of think of, of Chip Lindsay and what did you kind of see from what he wants to do in Chapel Hill I absolutely love the first three quarters you know I loved it we used a variety of formations we use uh, different personnels and, and and we use different packages to get players the ball um, the, the tempo and the push of the O-line was awesome. Uh, but, but like you mentioned, we were using, so, so the kind of the knock on Phil Longo, and I don't mean to bring this up, but his offense was really, all right, he's going to have these standard two by two formations and standard three by one formations, you know, for the common fan, that's just literally two receivers on both sides of the ball or three on one side and, and a single X receiver on the other. Like it's very like cookie cutter, easy to defend. Obviously, if you have better skill players, like it's hard to defend and obviously the tempo and things of that nature. But Coach Lindsey was he was mixing it up all night with personnels. He was using 11 personnel, which is which is one tight end, one running back. He was using 12 personnel, which we talked about last pod of getting more tight ends into the game. He was using 13 personnel at times. He used 20 personnel, which is he had both running backs in there at a time. So he, he's always keeping the defense guessing because the how, how a defensive coordinator calls the game is based off the person, the offensive personnel that's in the game. So if there's two tight ends, 
he's got to put his heavier packets because the tight ends are more bulky than the receivers. So he's got to have more beef in there. So the way that he, you know, used all these formations and personnels was really exciting because it's something that Carolina really hasn't done before. Um, the red zone offense was great. We scored four times in the red zone. Um, the thing that I liked is early in the game, he schemed up packages for players like doc chapman is apparently this really you know fast speedy guy that we have and and we ran two plays for him in the first quarter to get him the ball i think one was kind of reverse and then the other was like a jet sweep we also threw pet away in the game at time and and we threw him the ball in the flat but like we're, we're putting different players in the game and we have plans for him which which i love to see the last plan that w- we implemented was after gavin blackwell had two drops early in the first half we kind of went to our security blanket and put all the tight ends in the game and flexed them out like the, like it was an 11 personnel formation. And, you know, they're, they're the security blanket for Drake. So we kind of replaced the receivers with our tight ends, put those guys in the game. There were some mismatches, and, and then that way we got our drives going. So uh, I, I love what we saw from Chip Lindsey. Um, I think early, late in the third, early in the fourth, I think we should have just ran the ball and tried to run out the clock. But Look, that was their first first time together as, as an offense, and and they're only going to get better. But I, I'm really encouraged with what we saw out of him. Yeah, and, and the, the most encouraging part is when you look at what North Carolina was doing with that level of creativity, and now you start thinking about if the NCAA fixes their mistake and lets Tez Walker play, you get Nate McCollum back from an injury, and all of a sudden this offense – is cooking with gas. I, I thought one of the things that was pretty was pretty good to see was Gavin Blackwell has two pretty not the the second one the first one was uh contested on fourth down. Yeah, it was a lot yeah. tighter than I think people probably thought. It's one that if you ask him, he should have caught. The second For one sure. was a little bit behind him when South Carolina is playing, you know, uh, like a drop coverage on, on a third and long. He I like, got that one. Yeah, he should have caught it. If it hits your hand as a receiver, yeah. you're going to think you should catch it. But if he catches it, you know, it's it's just a, a shorter fourth down attempt or, or a shorter field goal attempt. But I, I, I was encouraged by Drake May and North Carolina's offense staying confident in him, knowing that, hey, we don't have Tez Walker. We don't have Nate McCollum. We're probably going to need Gavin Blackwell to come back in this game and make a big play. And he does make that big play where – Carolina where he makes a diving catch on the one yard line Carolina goes hurry up with South Carolina kind of scrambling and Omar and Hampton uh, comes in and kind of cleans it up I I thought the 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 biggest thing with Tez Walker and Nate McCollum's absence it kind of highlighted why North Carolina went out in in the transfer portal and identified those guys as priorities for this offense and what they can do with all their all their weapons available at, at Chip Lindsey's disposal. The other thing that I thought was really cool from this Carolina opening win offensively, British Brooks. I, I think British Brooks fr- from what I saw, British Brooks looks like the, the clear number one back for this North Carolina team. And I thought it was really impressive how and I, I think it's the thing that kind of separates him and Hampton where they currently are right now. Brooks seems like he always makes the first guy miss. And when he's such a physical back and he makes that first guy miss, you know, you're talking about a, a three yard run 
to a, a 10, 20 yard run where, where he could kind of break one and just seeing him and, and how cool his story is a, a walk on misses the entire last year with a knee injury. I don't know if you saw the, the video on social media after the game of him, him and, and Mac. Yeah. Him and Mac. Yeah. And, and you could just see how much Mac Brown loves the players and, and how much the players love Mac Brown. But I thought that was a really cool moment for British Brooks to kind of have. I, I mean, I can't say enough good things about that kid. You know, he's from Gastonia, North Carolina, which is just outside of Charlotte. So he's playing in his in his hometown, essentially, for his hometown team. You know, a former walk-on that's been with the program since 2018. He, he just had that look in his eye last night of, of how much it meant for him to get back healthy and, and compete and, and, and help this team win. You know, when he took off his helmet and I saw he had that camo skull cap on, I knew he meant business. I knew South Carolina was in for a rough night. Um, I mean, he did everything last night. He he ran the ball well. He pass blocked as well as Javante Williams did back in 2020, 2021. He, he had his first three catches of his career. You know, we flexed him out and empty and we threw him a, a route on third or fourth down. That was a big play in the game. You know, he, he showed patience as a running back when we were running gap scheme runs of of kind of letting the block set up and then he hit the hole. You know, he he looked like a complete back and and a guy that will contend for all ACC honors as as the year goes on and he's the heart and the heart and soul of the team besides Drake May. I think he's kind of the emotional vocal leader and Drake's obviously, you know, he's the head, he's the he's the heart but like but British Brooks man, he is what an unbelievable story he has and uh he's just getting started. Speaking of Drake May, he probably expects a, a better night. Not expect, not he probably. Drake May definitely holds himself to a higher standard. But I still thought he he showed flashes at times where it was like, wow, this this quarterback is different. Some of the, there was like a four yard completion to JJ Jones, but it was like a cross field, like with zip to the sideline, where it was like there there aren't too many people in the country that can make that throw. He has the two interceptions, but, you know, for, for the interceptions he has, he has big completions to Gavin Blackwell. He has uh, Copenhaver for a touchdown. There was there was uh, the one where he scrambles around when South Carolina only rushes two, and, and he finds Bryson Nesbitt for a first down conversion. And I, I thought one of my favorite plays was Copenhaver's touchdown where Drake May is getting pressured and kind of off his back foot he has such confidence in his tight end. He's just like, I know he's down there somewhere. Let me just throw it up and, and let him make a play. What did you think of 10 out there? T- 10 is, I mean, he's special, man. The thing I was most encouraged about was our team didn't make Drake play hero ball last night. We still won by 14, you know, and, and we could have won by a lot more, honestly. But but Drake, I think he was awesome other than three throws. The the two interceptions he probably wants back. I think one of them, you know, the tip ball to pace hour was 50-50. Um, but, you know, Drake, he, he looked smooth. He looked confident. He looked poised. Pinpoint accuracy other than he had a slot fade to pace hour that he missed uh, in the first half. But, I mean, he, he looks as advertised and – you know, he's a, he's a top two pick. It's going to be the debate of him and Caleb Williams all year. And um, like you said, my favorite play of the game was the when we when we put Drake in empty, I, I couldn't be happier. I know it's going to be a successful play because there's two things about it. Drake, when he stands back there, he's so tall. He sees everything so well because the defense has to identify themselves. 
right? With all the receivers flexed out wide, the, the safeties can't really disguise what they're doing. The linebackers can't disguise their blitz well. So Drake, the two best parts of his game are his, his cerebral ability to process defense and know exactly where the ball goes on any given defense, and then his God-given ability. So if Drake knows exactly where the ball is going pre-snap and post-snap, he's going to get it done. So Drake, on that touchdown to, uh, to Copenhaver, right, it's a cover zero blitz and empty. He sees everyone walked up on the line. He knows that, that his, his five offensive linemen can account for five of the blitzers, and the sixth blitzer is on him. So he's got to get rid of the ball before the blitzer gets to him. So what does he do? He knows where the blitzer, the free blitzer is coming from. He drifts away from him, buys Copenhaver enough time to get down there, and then throws the ball up and lets his receiver go make a play and then takes a shot. You know, like that's that's high-level NFL stuff that he's doing in his second year starting. And I can't tell you how lucky we are to have that guy. Yeah, and, and the other person that we probably – I mean, there's so many people that you can mention. I feel like when we do these kind of podcasts after wins, people come out and they're like, wait, what about this person? What about this person? You didn't give that person credit. I thought Kobe Pesor did did a great job filling in um, for Nate McCollum on, on kind of short notice. And Pesor seemed like he was the only person that was creating sep- uh, separation with, with any sort of regularity and for this North Carolina team to kind of reach their full potential offensively, I do think they need somebody to stretch the field vertically. The good thing is that they do have that person on the roster. The NCAA just has to get their 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 stuff in order when everybody from the TV broadcast to college game day to anybody who anybody with eyes who looks at the situation is like Tez Walker should be playing. Tez Walker would be that guy for Carolina, I think, where once you insert him into the lineup, you're like, okay, this this offense is at a, a completely different gear. And the only thing – I have something to nitpick, but it's it's like when we were playing where it's like when you when you win games, it's, it's a lot easier to be coached up harder because yep. you have success and you see that success. The only thing that I remember thinking during the game that I, I didn't agree with what North Carolina was doing was – the clock management to to end the first half where Cedric Ray gets a sack with like 110. North Carolina has three timeouts. Um, I, I understand the thought, like just go into halftime with the lead. But when you have a, a Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, you want to get them as many opportunities on the field as possible. And 110 in college with the clock stopping on first downs and with um, – they would have two timeouts. It, it felt like they should have gave Drake May a, a, another opportunity there. I couldn't agree more. You know, I don't care if it's 20 seconds. You know, we, we try to find Drake, you know, get a chance to have Drake with the ball in his hands. Uh, can only, you know, you can't have enough possessions with that guy. We can score in, in two plays with him. Um, so I, I think maybe what happened was on, on the head coach's headset, he he's talking to the offensive coaches, the defensive and the special teams. And I want to give coach Brown a pass. Maybe he was like flipped over on the defensive side because normally when the defense is on the field, he's on their channel. So he's talking to the coaches. So maybe, I I don't know, maybe something got lost in translation, but look, the players make mistakes, coaches make mistakes. And, and coach Brown, I hope can get that corrected for the rest of the year. Um, Because yeah, that's another, we talk about the middle eight portion of the game being, 
one of the most critical pieces of the game. You know, the last four minutes of the first half and the first four of the second half. And you know, that was that was another opportunity to steal a possession, put our foot on our neck because we knew we were getting the ball in the second half. Obviously, that didn't turn out great, but um, that's the other thing. I guess we could nitpick. <laughs> Everybody in that building could feel the onside kick coming. Yeah, and even Matt we, Brown we, said, we talked about it. We talked about it last podcast. We said <laughs> Beamer Ball, and and they love doing tricks on special. Te- Pete Limbo is an unbelievable special teams coordinator for South Carolina. So I don't know. I thought those those were the only two things I kind of made a note of of things that um, that you you could nitpick. But it, it's tough to nitpick when Carolina. There were so many questions about this team going into the season, and for the large part, they answered a lot of those with flying colors. Carolina back in action this Saturday, the home opener, the rare 5:15 kickoff, ACC Network against App State. App State, um, it's they're a good team in the Sun Belt, but with the level of of talent that Carolina has, um, it, this is going to be a big one for them to to kind of make a statement and validate this performance. But Shotman, appreciate the time and appreciate everybody who's watched and listened. Appreciate you guys, Vip. As always, it's a pleasure, and uh, let's keep this train rolling. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.